Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam O'Cronin. I'm Aaron Weber. And today we're discussing the future of comedy. For our listeners, Aaron is a stand-up comedian. He's also the host of a comedy podcast called Somebody Stop Me. And he's headlining at Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville on September 30th. Aaron, thanks for coming on the pod. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Sure. So I wanted to talk to you today about what it's like to be a comedian in the year 2020, what makes a joke funny, the perils of cancel culture, the value that comedy brings to society, and how comedy is likely to evolve in the future. So perhaps a good place for us to start would be, tell us your process for coming up with jokes and how you see the art and science of joke telling. Wow. Um, you know, everybody, everybody's process for writing jokes is different. And I hesitate to even call what I do uh, a process because <laughs> there's no real science behind it. Um, most of my jokes start with either uh, something that bothers me or an insecurity about myself. And then everything else kind of stems from that. Um, like one of my biggest insecurities is about cars. I know nothing about how to fix cars. <laughs> and I think something like truly emasculating about not knowing how to change a tire or replace a battery or I'm the same way. Maria's like the handy person in our household. <laughs> yeah, it feels weird, doesn't it? It's something yeah. <laughs> like uh I don't know. Every time I go to a mechanic, like I hate that experience of like another man like showing me how to you know. So like <laughs> I, I got a huge chunk of my act that's about specifically that. So like if you know about cars, you can laugh at my expense. Or if you don't know about cars like you, uh, you can just you can, you know, relate to what I'm saying. So right. so that's that's where the jokes come from, either either an insecurity about myself or or, you know, something that bothers me. And then it all kind of goes from there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've you know, your podcast and a lot of you know, I've seen your stand up as well. It's very relatable and you know, that's sort of one of the there's these six dimensions of humor that Scott Adams, the Dilbert comic strip writer, talks about. And one of them is that relatable re relatability. There's also the other six are so there's naughty, which is, you know, sex jokes, masturbation, dick jokes, all that kind of stuff. Potty humor. There's yeah. clever, which is like puns and just sort of interesting takes on society. There's cute, which maybe that would be like, you know, Calvin and Hobbes. Like, you, you know, or like Snoopy or, or something like that. Um, there's bizarre, which is just like something you wouldn't normally expect. Like, you know, like an oiled up, like buff Bernie Sanders or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> or like the Doge, uh, you know, that like dog, like all buffed up those memes. Yeah. Um, or and then there's also mean, which is, you know, like Anthony Jeselnik has kind of like mastered the art of being mean. And, and you laugh because you're kind of uncomfortable. So, yeah, I mean, he's kind of put that framework. Do you, does that resonate with you? I think so. I think the more, like, for me, um, I, I, those breakdowns don't really, I mean, I don't really think about those anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I'm reminded of that scene from Dead Poets Society where Robin Williams asked the class to read about the, the definition of poetry at the beginning of the book and then he has the whole class rip the page <laughs> and, and you know and and you know there is some value in kind of analyzing comedy at that level but i think at a certain point it's like 
something's funny or something's not funny. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it, it, it doesn't make sense to dig much deeper than that. That might be, you know, that might be totally. a just kind of where I'm at. No, yeah. I mean, there's a quote E.B. White says, quote, analyzing humor is like dissecting a frog. Few, few people are interested and the frog dies of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a great quote. Yeah. I mean, comedy is interesting because, you know, if you ask someone 10 years ago, would being a comedian be a good, good career path? A lot of people would say no, like, oh, you're better off being like a lawyer or like whatever else. But when you look forward into like the far future of automation and so many of just the logistical jobs that people have being automated, I've heard some people remark that comedy is going to truly be the last realm of human achieve like you know something that humans are better than machines at because you know would you ever go to like a comedy show and hear a robot tell jokes like i just can't imagine humans ever doing that man well i hope you're right (laughs) to take some some, somebody in silicon valley out there to build some kind of ai that could that can write jokes that i'm out of a job for good (laughs) uh i hope you're right about that man um, it's still not a good career. Path. <laughs> it's still not a great career choice. Uh, I should have been a lawyer or something. Else. <laughs> well, it's yeah. changing so much because, you know, comedians typically make a lot of their money from going on tour and doing shows. But yeah. obviously now with with coronavirus, that has totally, you know, you, you had a show that was headlining at Zany's and it got pushed all the way to September 30th. Uh-huh. So how has that transition been for you? It's been uh, it was tough, dude. I went from doing something, you know, every night of the week for five years to not being able to do it for two months. And, you know, most comedian, the big comedians that, you know, they've been doing it every night for years, too. So we we're all mm-hmm. just all of a sudden, every comedian in America was just stuck at their house with nothing to do. I've been pretty lucky just because uh, the South where I live has been handling coronavirus a little differently mm-hmm. than the rest of the country. Um, comedy clubs have been open. So I've, the last four weeks I've been working doing live comedy. So I was off for about three months and then, then I've been back for the, for, for the past month. And, uh, it's been great. Oh, it's, nice. been, it's been really, really good, man. The people that ha- have been coming out to shows, like they're, they're really excited to just be out of the house. Oh know? Yeah. A lot of the people that I talk to after the shows have been like, this is my first time doing anything since this started, you know? So it's it's been really cool. Yeah, and, you know, that sense of relief you get from going to a comedy show is so yeah. important, especially when times are tough. And it's like when we talk about, you know, the, the value of comedy in society, like you can go all the way back to caveman days where you can imagine a bunch of people you know, a little nomadic tribe huddled around a fire at night. And then all of a sudden they hear something rustling in the bushes and they all get really tense and they grab their spears and then a cute little bunny hops out and they all burst out laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I think some of the value is that, you know, it's it's a, like a release, like a basically you're releasing your pressure valve that builds up throughout day to day life. But it also allows you to bond with people through that shared laughter and it also gives you a deeper understanding of reality and you can kind of like laugh at your own situation, you know, laugh at the situations we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's one of the cooler parts is uh, of doing 
live comedy is you'll you'll have a crowd of the most diverse people you can imagine. Black, white, young, old, you know, uh, guys in Colin Kaepernick T-shirts, guys with Trump hats, all sitting together laughing at the same thing. I was in Huntsville, Alabama um, the last weekend of May doing stand-up, and it was a very di diverse crowd, and everyone was having a great time. And then I get off stage, and I check my phone, and there are riots all over America. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was bizarre to, to, to be on stage where all these different people are coming together laughing and then seeing that, you know, the world was kind of falling apart. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying stand-up comedy is going to save the world, but I think there is value in that. Oh, yeah. Well, stand-up comedy has kind of always been this bastion of free speech. Like, you know, I, I used to work in Hollywood and I would go to the comedy store oftentimes after work and people would just say the most ridiculous, outlandish things and almost like trying to get a rise out of you. But that's kind yeah. of uh, important because it like makes you not take yourself and everything so seriously. Exactly. And, yeah. And, you know, and I, one other thing you mentioned in your podcast was that when you started comedy or how many years you've been doing it, that's kind of how old you are in the comedy world. So if you've been doing comedy for like six years, you're like a six year old. Yeah. And so I guess like I'm really curious for you both how your own comedic talent or just how you, you know, how you per like act on stage and deal with the crowd and maybe deal with difficult times has evolved. And also if the crowd has changed at all, like if people are more offended than they used to be or, or if you haven't really seen that. I I've evolved so much. If I go back and look at my old, dude, I found a set from when I was in college at Notre Dame. <laughs> had one set filmed. If you would have asked me at the time, I would have thought, man, I was killing it. And I watched that clip recently, and it about made me throw up. It was <laughs> so bad, because I had been on stage like three times. Mm -hmm. so I had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, a few thousand sets later, like my my disposition disposition's totally different. Like I'm calmer. I'm not pacing around the stage. So all that just being comfortable just comes with time, you yeah. know. And I've, um, because I know how to write jokes better, I can talk about different stuff. Whereas I, if, when I first started doing comedy, I, I don't know if I'd want to tackle a race joke. Right. Right. Just being a white guy with a beard i wouldn't want to do that now i know how to do it now i know how to tap dance through the laser beams you know yeah uh, the crowds of i haven't noticed too much of a difference i've only been doing it you know seriously for for a little over five years now and they're you know probably it's probably a little different in 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 a lot of places i've, I've heard in new york and la mm-hmm things are different than they were even that long ago. But, you know, in the South and in, in, in kind of where I perform most of the time, I haven't noticed too much of a difference, which is good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, if, if you were only on Twitter and I've only <laughs> much only been on Twitter since, you know, the quarantine started, then I would think that everybody's waiting to get offended and everybody's, you know, super uptight. And it's just not the case in my experience. If you go out to a club and then most of the time they're, they're willing to have fun and they're willing to laugh about stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. Twitter is not the real world. It's important no. to remember that. 
And Facebook's not the real world either. It's it's kind of interesting how Twitter's kind of becoming the platform of the left and Facebook's kind of becoming the platform of the right. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? Really weird. Yeah. Yeah, none of them are representative of, of the real world at all. I mean, especially, I'm not on Facebook too much, but but Twitter, I, I, I remember looking up the, I was like, how many people are actually on Twitter? And the amount of people that are actually on it and active on it are, is such a small fraction of mm. the country. That it's like, why is activity on Twitter driving what the news talks about? You know, what what TV chooses? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw like this this Fox News clip where they they were like um, they're talking about you know the TikTok teens and fans of the group K-pop bought tickets to Trump's rally. It's like <laughs> like they don't even know what K-pop is. They're like the group K-pop. And like that's what happens when the news is literally just like translating what happens on Twitter for their yeah. audience. And yeah, Twitter kind of is like the ground zero for a lot of news nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. It's a real I think we're I saw a great tweet the other day. It was like it's almost like locking the country up and telling everybody to spend their time on social media has been bad for people's health. Which it absolutely <laughs> has. I mean, Twitter Twitter is a cesspool. Of, of negativity and, and toxicity, and I hate it, but I keep looking at it. Yeah, it's my most most used app as well. <laughs> yeah, do you hate it as much as I do, or do you have a good time on there? Well, I'll tell you, I used to find it a lot more enjoyable, but even some of the people that I really respect and have respected have started, started to get more into the whole, you know, identity politics and tearing people down and so it has been like I've noticed a change not only among like, you know, accounts that I haven't followed, but even with the accounts that I've been following for a long time. So it does seem like like things are ramping up and at least on Twitter, people are getting more and more offended and people are getting more and more attached to their identity rather than just what would be good for, you know, for all people, all, all humans. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of pretty high profile cancellations with, you know, cancel culture and you know, first of all, I'd like to say that there is a good side to cancel culture, which is that people in power are now actually having to answer for some of the deeds that they've done that are definitely not okay. There's also the bad side where, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but, you know, there was that biker uh, cyclist who went up to those kids who were putting up like George Floyd posters and he like yeah. ripped it out of their hands. Oh, and yeah. then Twitter did what Twitter does best. And they investigated the internet and found some you know, bike path that this guy had taken. And so they, oh, Andy's a cop. And so they outed this guy and everyone piled on him and basically like ruined his life. And then it turns out that wasn't even the guy. It was some other guy. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so yeah, because hardly anyone sees the follow-up, right? Of like, oh, was yeah. it actually the guy? It turned out to be someone else. And this guy just got his whole reputation ruined. So there, there is, you know, there is something to be said for, for due process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> first half of that story, I, I, the video made me laugh because the guy had on biker shoes and they were made, they made a funny noise when he walked. Right. And I'll, I'll admit I had a laugh at his expense, but I mean, God, I would never want. Oh my God. So a random guy just got doxxed online and everybody was trashing him. Yeah. Man. There was some like shared biking app where you can see people's paths. So they like found that this guy, he actually did go on that path that day. 
but you know so did a lot of other bikers <laughs> oh man that's sad but that's also pretty funny yeah yeah and and but 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 from a from a comedy perspective it's it's the only thing that alarms me is when people start getting in trouble for jokes mm. Oh, getting in trouble and getting canceled for behavior is one right, thing. Right, right. But but when 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 people get in trouble or get canceled or you know get attacked for jokes, that's when I start to get concerned. I completely you know? agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, the most recent cancellation was Crystalia, and you know, I was, but you know, what he did did seem pretty bad. If in fact it all happened, which it seems like it did. But it's totally different from, like you said, saying a joke and getting canceled for a joke that maybe just didn't hit right or, you know, didn't have enough. Um, it wasn't funny enough for how offensive it was, perhaps. Yeah. And yeah. like there's a couple examples that are interesting to point out. So, for instance, you know, like Michelle Wolf, when she hosted the White House Correspondence Dinner and she made that joke about Sarah Sanders, she said, I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful, but she burns facts and then uses the ash to create a perfect smoky eye. <laughs> like, I thought that was a, a funny joke, but yeah. then she got demolished because, you know, it, it, it was commenting on another woman's appearance, which, you know, can definitely be offensive. But I guess, like, for me personally, I'm, I'm such a believer in free speech that that you know really like conversation is all we have to move society forward and find common ground that if yeah. we can't you know can't say funny jokes or even jokes that aren't funny yeah. then that's a bad path we're going down yeah that's funny you brought that up because because i feel like the left pretty unfairly um people say that they're the ones who are responsible for for cancel culture but it goes on on the right too and that's a perfect example of that uh, there's a great quote from Patrice O'Neill um, who said, funny and unfunny come from the same place. Hmm. So, so we need to fight for the attempt. We need to allow people to be funny or not funny because it's, it's all with the same intention. If you're trying to be, sometimes you're not funny, you know? Right. Well, but, here's but, another, here's another interesting quote right along that. So yeah. Mel Brooks said, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you walk into an open sewer and die. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's, you know, if you're the butt of the joke, it can obviously seem much more offensive than if it's about someone else. Yes. Yes. And then there's also a level of just being an adult. What, somebody made a joke about you? It's like, relax. Yeah. You know? Now, things can be genuinely hurtful, but, but, there, but there is a level of like, dude, you're a grown adult. And somebody made a joke about you. Relax a little bit. Yeah. It does you know? seem like certain areas, though, are just no longer. It's like the third rail. You can't even touch it. And especially with with race now, it's like anything that has to do with race is really touchy. And, you know, for instance, there was, uh, you know, Shane Gillis got fired from SNL for some tweets about Asian people. And, you know, like, yeah, they were offensive, but they're also, you know, jokes. They were meant as jokes and maybe they didn't weren't weren't great jokes. But um, and, I, you know, I, I'm not I don't have any particular attachment to that that example. Um, there's obviously a lot of other examples like there was Kevin Hart and Chappelle uh, got flack for using homophobic homophobic language. Uh, Kathy Griffin cut off the Trump head. 
and you know that was seen as like very much not okay yeah so there's so many comedians that have been canceled and it does kind of seem like like comedians to some extent are held to a higher standard than like a lot of other or maybe they just say so many things that it makes them an easy target they are held to a different standard and and it's bizarre maybe because the illusion of it's of it's just a guy talking Hmm. you know if 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 people understood the process better and knew all that goes into make writing jokes and the performance of it, then maybe people would give them a little more leeway. But that's right. like the give and take. If you're really good at stand-up comedy, there's the illusion of it's just a guy up there talking to you, just talking on what's on his mind. You know? Right, right. Yeah, a lot of work goes into maybe it. That's part of it. Yeah. yeah, they had that interesting case just a, a day or two ago where, you know, Devin Nunez... Uh, senior official in the Trump administration sued this Twitter parody account about like Devin Nunez is a cow and they just made a bunch of cow jokes about him and he was claiming that it's defamatory it's you know it's created grievous harm to me and my family and my reputation and thankfully that lawsuit failed it did not you know the judge ruled that it was free speech but it is a little you know it is a, f- a little bit worrying that that it does seem like there are some challenges to free speech, um, you know, even when it's just made to be humorous. Yeah, and... you know, the good news for for in my experience is this this stuff rarely trickles over into the real world, like the, the it, all the the outrage that's on Twitter and social media. It's like that those people don't show up to a comedy club. Hmm. And 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 I've seen a lot of comedy shows. I've never seen somebody stand up and object to the right. joke. And maybe I've just been lucky. Maybe that's going on places, but I just I haven't seen it. Now some people have been upset, and they'll they're nice enough to talk to the comics after the show. But you know, if I was on Twitter, I would think that the comedy clubs are a war zone right now. And thankfully, they're not yet. I hope it stays that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you have, so I've heard this other opinion that there's about 30% of people that have no sense of humor at all. Just like how there's a lot of people who don't enjoy fine wine or aren't good at math or aren't good in social situations. In your experience, is that largely true? 30% seems pretty high. Yeah. That's a lot of people. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, there are definitely there are definitely some people that just that don't have a sense of humor. They're not willing to laugh. You have to be a willing participant. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like hypnosis. To- yes. Yeah. That's a that's a yeah. It's a good analogy. Like you have to go into it thinking I, I you know I am a willing participant in this comedy show. Yeah. I, I want to laugh a little bit. If you go in arms crossed and choose not to laugh. Then, right. Then you won't. But thirty percent is man. That's a lot. Well, that's why I love when comedians will like make fun of someone who's in the front row, like got just like a serious face on. And yeah, when when that happens, by the way, that's because it hurts seeing people like that up there. Yeah. You know, that comes. If you're looking out when you're on stage and looking out into the crowd, like most of the time the lights are off in a comedy club, so you only see a few people. And if one of the people you see has their arms crossed, it kind of hurts. You're like, yeah. oh, it's this guy's problem. Yeah. Just lay on him, you know? And what do you what do you do if you get into a situation where 
like, you know, a joke bombs and, you know, no one laughs. Like, I've, I mean, I've heard so many stories of comedians saying like, oh, like anything I face in life, like, dude, I've bombed in front of thousands of people, like nothing can phase me now. Um, so like, have you noticed that you're able to better handle other situations in life? And also, how do you deal with those, you know, tough situations uh, on, on stage? It's all about perspective. Like when I first started doing comedy, if I bombed, which happened a lot, it would ruin my week because mm. because, you know, one of the 10 shows I'd ever done went awful. That's a pretty terrible percentage, you know, but then you just keep doing shows and you realize that these shows aren't that important. Mm -hmm. It's 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 like taking a step back and, and, and looking at it from a from a wide angle. Um, they just don't matter that much. If I have a bad set now, which still happens all the time, I, I'm upset about it for about 15 minutes and then I'm ready to move on because I have another show coming up. Yeah. About so thinking about it like that, if, if, if I'm upset about something in the real world, then I just go, you know what? Tomorrow's another day mm -hmm. and let's just move on from it. So it has helped me a little bit in, in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. So I have a couple like rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. Go that, ahead. Okay. So one of them is who is your comedic hero or who has really inspired you to become a stand up comic? Two guys, Bill Burr, who is probably the greatest stand up comic of all time. And another guy, Nate Bargetsy who's uh, another great stand-up comic, who's clean, who... who oh, I don't know Nate. Nate is really good, man. He's got a Netflix special. Um, he's clean, but you could watch his whole special and not even realize he's clean because because it's just so funny. And uh, those those are the two guys. That's that's my... If Mount Rushmore were only two people, that, that would be... I'd be <laughs> yeah, I love Bill Burr. Burr's uh, great. Yeah. Uh, so what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in stand-up comedy? To get on stage as often as possible. To just do it as much as you can. Stand-up comedy specifically is unlike any other thing I know of in that you can only practice it by doing it in front of people. You, you never know if something is going to be funny until you say it out loud. And that ties into what we've been talking about of, of fighting for the attempt to be funny. It's just you never know until you say it out loud. So yeah. just do it as often as you can. Get up on stage wherever, whenever you can. Good shows, bad shows, they're all gonna they're all gonna benefit you in the long run. Yeah. I've heard there's this interesting psychological phenomenon where if a comedian tells ten jokes and only one of them is funny, or you only think one of them's funny you're going to remember the funny joke. You typically don't remember jokes that you didn't laugh at. So you might as well say, you know, as many jokes and types of jokes. And as long as you really, as long as at least one of them really resonates with each person in the crowd, then, you know, you, they'll think of the show as having been funny. Ah, that's a great point. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And then your job as a comedian is to keep that one funny joke and then work on the other nine, you know, and then right. it's, Ideally, you have 10 out of 10 that are great. Yeah. You know, but you never know until you say it out loud. You, you just, you never know. You can tell yourself things are funny. You can stand in front of the mirror 
You can make yourself laugh, but until you make a group of strangers laugh, you, you have no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have some questions that are unrelated to comedy, but they're questions that I ask a lot of my guests that are just sort of far future questions that I'm really interested just what people's thoughts are on them. So, okay, here's the first one. Will humans still be around 1,000 years from now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not, uh, not, not as many. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll be. I think we'll persevere. Do you think we'll colonize the stars? Not like, the star. You can't. You can't live on it. Come on. Right. <laughs> you can't live on a star. Star. Star is far too hot. I know that much. Uh, now we'll be on Mars by then for sure, though. Yeah. Hopefully. Will the United States still be united 100 years from now? A hundred years from now. Yeah, I think so. I think we got a couple. We got about a couple hundred years left. <laughs> Things implode. Nice. <laughs> maybe that's optimistic. I think we. Yeah, we got maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred forty years before we're all one government in the world. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Alan Watts has this interesting thing about how, you know, eventually there will be the singularity. Like through AI, all humans will merge into one. And by the way, that's already happened. That's what the cells in your body have already decided to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here's the next one. Okay. What technological advancement are you most excited about humanity possibly achieving in the future? Oh, already been achieved, which is self-driving cars. I can't think of another invention that's already in the works, already been made, that's going to change American life as profoundly as as a self-driving car um mostly just my life it would change my life <laughs> that's gonna be a while before i can afford one so it's gonna be really annoying when everybody else has one and i don't have one but when i do <laughs> yeah no i'm a big fan of self-driving too have you ridden one of those before you're in a tesla uh i've ridden in a tesla but you know they haven't has wasn't in full autopilot mode man but I yeah it looked amazing yeah i have like my grandma gave me her car like you know a 2007 honda accord and my plan is to just ride that out until we're fully self-driving <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> uh okay what is the single biggest threat to human civilization in your view oh my god i mean pro- what's the what's the correct date probably climate change yeah. i hear a lot Smart people talk. I know nothing about it, but I hear smart people talking about it. So it's got to be a real thing, right? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, not in my lifetime. Sucks. Sucks. <laughs> the future. <laughs> I'll survive. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, dude, everything. I mean, I'm not super into all that stuff, but I, the, what I've seen about it, it looks like that's going to be the number one problem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. Okay. Uh, Will machines become smarter than the average person, i.e. artificial general intelligence, by the year 2050? Oh, probably quicker than that. Yeah. What would you put it at if you had to put a number? 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Are we pretty close? Well, we're already better than machines are already better than humans at a lot of tasks. So it's really just about, you know, putting them all together. So like in like a Siri or, or, you know, Alexa kind of version. Yeah. Well, like you said, when they start writing jokes, 
let me know. That's, 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 that's what I'm tapping out. <laughs> All right. Uh, related question to that. Yeah. When machines become smarter than the average person in 2022, will consciousness emerge? Or at some point, will consciousness emerge in machines once they've reached a sufficient level of complex intelligence? Or maybe they already are somewhat conscious. I'm just so not equipped to answer that. <laughs> Dude, you really made me uh, like just talking to you is like, man, I forgot how dumb I was. I haven't had like an intellectual conversation in a long time. And uh, like, I'm really out of my league here. Uh, yeah, I think so, man. That's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I think. It's like, yeah. it's hard to draw a line at where consciousness emerges. So. I'm, I kind of believe that even a rock to some extent has some low level of conscious resonance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so out of my I, I thought I was doing well up until that question. I was like, man, about to be exposed here. All right. I've just yeah, got, I, by the way, I did not graduate. I did not graduate from Notre Dame with honors. <laughs> I was not, don't, don't let my answers reflect the, what you think about Matamor's education. We did go to the same <laughs> But uh, with two two vastly different students here, <laughs> yeah, we're getting lots of different takes. They're all valuable. Yeah. All right. So here I have two more rapid fires, and then we'll get into the future scenarios. Okay. So one is, if you were elected president, what would you do on day one? Like, what's the one policy you would enact first? Oh wow. Look, I think there's a good argument to be made to 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 decriminalize or legalize marijuana and get all those people out of prison. Yeah. You know, I think I think that there's a good argument to, to do that on day one. People always talk about day one of the president. Right. <laughs> it's like everybody's like, I'm going to do a million different things on day one. It's like, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe day three, I'll get down to some good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, day one, you got to celebrate a little, give some speeches. Yeah, that day is real busy, dude. You got to get sworn in. There's a, there's a ball. You know? Yeah. All right, last rapid fire. Yeah. Should we bring back the Tyrannosaurus Rex? Bring it back? Yeah, with gene, gene technology. Oh, God. Assuming we're able to, and we are close to being able to. Really? Yeah, I mean, we can, yeah. we're already about able to bring back a woolly mammoth or, or almost there. I don't think so, because I think you, if, you, if you bring one back, you got to bring two back, right? And then, and then they start breeding, and then we, <laughs> we have a problem. Because yeah. <laughs> you know? it's inhumane and cruel to just bring one back, right? You bring one T-Rex back, it's just in a big enclosure. It has no quality of life. You're like, let's give it a mate. And then they start having kids. The kids start having kids with each other. Next thing you know, the world's over. So I think maybe just let's not bring any of them back. Yeah, that's valid. All right, let's take a quick break and then let's get into the future scenarios. All right, Aaron. Yep. In your mind, what is the worst case scenario for the future of comedy? Worst case scenario. Um, that people won't want to come see live comedy anymore. I think that's a very real concern. Just with it becomes easier and easier to to consume comedy on your phone, on TV, 
just you know to stream it so people won't want to come see it live mm. and that would be worst case scenario for me um so you know hopefully people come out it's so much better it's one of those things that's just so much better live i know people talk about music that way mm-hmm. where you just you gotta see them live but it really is a totally different experience to see comedy yeah when a guy is six feet away from you you know Right. Well, they they did an interesting study with music where they found that everyone's hearts are beating in sync when there's a DJ playing in a set. And really, it's like your whole, like all the electromagnetic fields of energy of all the people are really synchronized. So you can really like feel that. And I, you know, it's sort of a similar thing with comedy where everyone has the same sort of energy, especially when a really good joke you know, is told and then everyone releases at the same time and it's this like endorphins rush your brain and you don't get that to the same extent if you're just, you know, alone sitting in your kitchen listening or watching a Netflix special. Exactly. And I've seen a lot of that because during during the quarantine, I, I did some shows over Zoom, yeah. you know, and uh, it's just not the same. It, it really proved to me that, that there's something about being in the same room. Yeah. Much- Rangers in there and do, doing a live show that's that's really special so hopefully that doesn't go away totally yeah all right what is in your mind the best case scenario for the future of comedy best case scenario best case scenario is people are comedians are given the freedom to to make jokes about anything Mm. Which, which I think they already have, but just you know, continuing to have that freedom um, that uh, all different kinds of people have opportunities to 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 do comedy. That, dude, I would love. There's there's like there's only a handful of arena acts in comedy right now. There's only about a handful of comics that can sell out big arenas and. It would be really cool, not that comedy's better in an arena, but I would love for there to just be more comedians who are, who could do that if they wanted to. Yeah. And and comedians just became more, it became more of a respected art form. I'm kind of all over the place here, but I, but. No, I like that. Yeah. I, I would love for there to be, because there are so many good comedians mm-hmm. and I, I would love if, if they were bigger and, and and could you know were more appreciated yeah you know, not even talking about me i just know so many you know it's like there are only three or four super famous comedians right now it's like kevin hart amy schumer rogan Chappelle. like that's about i mean a couple others i'm sure but but there are so many so many more than that yeah definitely i don't know yeah it seems like the more challenges we face in society the more we need that comedic release too. So I, yeah. I hope you're right. Yeah, me too. All right. What is the most likely scenario? How do you think comedy is going to change in the next several years? Most likely scenario. I think, um, <laughs> I think the acts like the, the, you already see it now. Comedy clubs are, um, like Twitch streamers are performing there and podcasters hmm. are performing at comedy clubs. Just, you know, the, the type of comedy that's being consumed is, is different. 
So you're going to see different types of acts performing live and maybe the, the, the archetype of a conventional stand-up comic kind of fades away. And maybe I'm getting back into my worst case scenario, but, uh, I, I, I could envision a world where that, where that happens, where, uh, where a conventional stand-up comic is like a blacksmith kind of just a, <laughs> like just at Renaissance fairs and stuff, you know? Um, Look, I think I was really, really worried about how things would be different after coronavirus. Like, I wasn't sure if, A, people were going to come to shows, and B, if they were going to be super weird at shows. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've only been back for about a month. I've done four different weekends since coronavirus. And and luckily, there just wasn't much of a, a change. Like, people yeah. were still... They're happy to be out. They were still laughing at the same stuff. Like they hadn't, you know, if anything, they wanted to just, they wanted to get back to how they were before all of this. So that's I really good was, to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good to see because, because I was pretty pessimistic about the whole thing a few months ago. Yeah. I thought, I thought America's sense of humor will have changed after this. And thankfully it hasn't. Right. And, and we'll see. Things could get much worse. But yeah. Yeah, now. I've I've heard that, you know, what like what makes something funny is a benign violation. So if you think of two concentric circles of something that's benign and something that's a violation, whatever's in the middle of those is what's like a funny joke. And so I guess like for my own best worst and most most likely scenario, it would be that what's benign doesn't shrink and shrink and shrink where we get more and more offended. So what we're, what's acceptable to be told as a joke gets smaller and smaller and what's a violation gets bigger and bigger. So I would, I would hope that, you know, at least either we stay where we are right now, where you can pretty much say whatever, uh -huh. um, or maybe it even grows where people are less and less offended over time. So there's, there's an even wider scope of what you can say and, and, you know, it's not perceived as being like, you know, something cancelable or, or something like, yeah. That's really profound. Cause like they said, you know, so for instance, like you can't tickle yourself cause there's no violation there. Like, you know, you're not going to like actually like hurt, you know, whatever. Yeah. But so there needs to be some sort of like almost like a level of threat or danger. And it's kind of like someone else said this interesting thing that unless you're going right up to the line of what's acceptable, whether it's an idea or a joke or whatever, then what you're saying is probably pretty bland and it's not really that useful. Like, you know, I can say like water is great, but no one's going to laugh at that. Like you have to say something that's a little bit on the edge in order for it even to be a valuable thing to say. So, so I hope that edge doesn't recede. Yeah, and you don't know where that line is until you cross it a little bit. Yeah, you need the freedom to figure out where that line is. And maybe you go over once and then you realize you went too far and you should have the ability to come back and do another set and, you know, get it better the next time. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm going to steal that. Dude, be my guest. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for uh, for joining me and, and all of our listeners. Hey, dude. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. The past, the present, and the 